Well, good morning. You made it. So, I mean, winter in Minnesota, I guess, has finally arrived. But uh, here we are together. And wasn't it great to have the, the kids up here helping lead us in worship? I think that's, that's an important part of, of, of any healthy church is uh, how do we regard the, the children who, it's more than a Whitney Houston song, folks, the children are our future. So it's awesome for us to be able to celebrate that and to have them lead us in such a, a wonderful way. And today we're going to be talking all about joy. And I don't know a better way of expressing something like joy than what we were just uh, witnessing here with the kids. So it, it's a banner day. Glad you're here. Glad you braved the elements to get here. Um, and so like I mentioned, we're going to continue on unwrapping this promise of joy. But before we dive into that, I want to just bring you up to speed on one of my ongoing challenges that I have with my mother. <laughs> Now, this is not a bad thing, okay, so I guess disclaimer up front, not a bad challenge, but just a challenge challenge, because my mom, more than anyone else I know, trust me, likes to ask questions. I think she missed her true calling as an FBI investigator. <laughs> But she loves questions. And, and I can usually deal with most of the questions, but there's one question in particular that it, it's a showstopper for me. I don't know how to handle it. You ready for it? Well, are you happy? I don't know how to answer that question. When somebody asks you that question, what, what comes into your mind? When somebody asks me, are you happy? I, I'm just like, what do you mean? Like happy about what I ordered for breakfast, happy about uh, the life choices I've made, happy about, uh, you know, wh whatever, the price of gas. I, wh what do you mean, am I happy? What is that question getting at? And so normally I just fumble through that and I think like, I can't answer it. Or, or I might say, um, uh, yeah, well, it sure doesn't look like it. <laughs> so now she's changed her strategy. So uh, instead of saying, are you happy? She says, well, I have one question, but I know I'm not supposed to ask it. I'm like, mom, that's the same thing. I already know what the question is. But when it's put to you, when we think of this, this idea of joy and happiness and what that really truly means to you, how do you answer that question? When, when somebody uh, asks you, are you happy? Then of course the follow-up question or the deeper level question that we're gonna get into today is, well, why is that? Why are you happy? What about you and your life and the circumstances and all that? Is that what it is? Is that, is that what it really boils down to? Is, well, I'm happy if the circumstances of my life are good and things are going well, then I'm happy. Is that how we answer that question? Or is there something more that we can learn and understand about happiness or I would say joy. And I, I know in the Bible, these words are kind of used interchangeably a lot of the time. Um, but I want to draw a distinction for us here together for the purpose of understanding this deeper level of what I would call true joy or biblical joy that we have in Jesus as we unwrap this promise together. And so I want to say it this way. Happiness is largely dependent on what is happening in our lives. 
It's largely dependent on the circumstances, the external things that are going on. That, that to me, for our purposes today, is what I want to think of when we, when we talk about happiness. Whereas joy is something that is deeply inside of us. It doesn't depend, it's not easily affected by what is happening outside of us because it's something that is going on inside of us. And therefore, it is, it is more of a constant. It's more of something that is sure. It's steady. It doesn't, it's not something fleeting like happiness that kind of bounces all over the place. I mean, you can go, uh, when it comes to happiness in terms of the way the world understands it, you can go from being very happy to being very unhappy in, in, in a breath or two. But that's not what we find when we're talking about unwrapping the promise of the joy that we have in Jesus. This is something entirely different. That's what we're actually going to be taking a look at today. But because it's not tied to our external circumstances, we have to understand a little bit about, well, then where does it come from? If it's not something that I can manufacture, it's not something that I can just sort of will, then, then where does it come from? And for that, if you were with us as we're going through the Gospel of John, several weeks ago, we made it to John chapter 15, where Jesus does this amazing teaching with his disciples about what it means to truly follow him. And, and he uses this metaphor of, of the vine and the branches. And he tells them, hey, when you stay connected to me, then I stay connected to you. And so as you go, uh, well, let's just read it. In John uh, chapter 15, verses 11 and 12, uh, this is, he's, com he's comforting his disciples. He's telling them what's about to happen to him. He knows that he will be arrested soon. He's going to eventually be crucified uh, for the sin of the entire world, past, present, and future. Then He's raised again on the third day, but the disciples, they don't understand what he's talking about. They don't know this. They're very troubled at the thought of him going away, which is what he's told them. And so he says to them, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Now, do you notice then that this joy that Jesus is talking about, this idea of this joy in us and our joy being made complete is not something that we manufacture. It's something that is given to us by God through Jesus. So this joy we have in Jesus is something that is a gift given to us. And so we unwrap that gift today together to understand a little bit more about what that is, because it's completely incompatible and completely irreconcilable to what the world says happiness or joy is. So I would say it this way, the joy Jesus brings isn't temporary happiness, it's eternal assurance. The joy Jesus brings isn't temporary happiness, it's eternal assurance. Before we jump in and start seeing how we can unpack this to understand uh, joy that Jesus has for each and every one of us, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together. We don't believe it is by accident, but it is by the power of your Holy Spirit who continues to call the church together and to make it your body by the promise that we have in you. Lord, our, our hope is in you. Our trust is in you. Our joy is is in you. And so, Lord, as you work in our hearts, would it be your word that we hear today? Not my words, but your word, because we know your word has the power 
to raise the dead. We ask that you bring us into new life with you today, right, right in these moments that we have together. Teach us about this joy that we have only in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Now, when it comes to this idea of biblical joy or true joy, joy that's constant and sure and certain and has courage and confidence, all of that, well, Jesus is the prime example, right? But other than Jesus himself, probably one of, if not the best example of what this all looks like is the Apostle Paul. Now, the Apostle Paul, if you don't know, wrote a whole bunch of the New Testament because they're in the, it's in the form of these letters. He wrote a lot of letters because the Apostle Paul was the best, most successful uh, evangelist in the history of the world, past, present, and probably future. Uh, he, he was almost single-handedly responsible for launching this movement that is the Christian church? What does it mean to follow Jesus? And so he did that not by himself. He had lots of help along the way, but he was kind of the primary uh, figure during that time in, in the world where, where the gospel message was being advanced to bigger and wider, broader places. And so he had planted a lot of these churches himself, but some of them uh, he wrote letters to that he had never even been to. Like he always wanted to go to the church in Rome. And he kept saying, I'm, I'm really hoping to come to you. I'm really hoping to come to you. Others, he'd already been there because he had helped start the church. And then these letters oftentimes are dealing with some kind of, of issue or concern or correction to something that is going on in the church. And so Paul does a masterful job of walking people through, hey, you're facing these challenges. Here are the ways that you need to think about this. Here are the way that you need to address it. But it's never just procedural or structural. It's always rooted in preaching the gospel, advancing the gospel, knowing who Jesus is and making him known to these churches that he's helped to start. So this, this, the letter we're looking at today is one of Paul's letters. Uh, it's the letter to the Philippian church. And so if you have your Bible, you can pre-turn to Philippians. Uh, it's, it's only a few pages, so you might miss it. But this letter is unique because Paul writes it not as a means of correction or trying to deal with a particular issue. He writes it largely as a means of encouragement. It's a joyful letter. It's a letter of joy and friendship and encouragement to this congregation that he helped start about 10 years previous to the time he wrote this letter. And there was this ongoing relationship. Now, they didn't have instant communication, so it wasn't like they could, you know, pick up the phone or send an email or uh, whatever else you do now to get a text message. Uh, there was none of that. And so what ended up happening was the, the congregation in Philippi had heard that Paul had run into some trouble. They got wind of this. They wondered what was going on. You can read about this in Acts chapter 21, but Paul had gone to Jerusalem and the religious leaders in Jerusalem, they took one listen to Paul and said, this guy is a problem. And so they made moves to arrest him. He was ultimately arrested and then they put him on trial and they accused him of things. He was ultimately in trouble for preaching the gospel. It didn't fit in to the religious system that they had and they wanted maintained. Paul brought a gospel that was not compatible with that kind of understanding. 
And so they wanted to eliminate him. And so ultimately he was arrested. He was put on a little bit of a trial there. And he appealed to Caesar because he said, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. And so if I'm going to be put on trial, I want it to be put on trial by the Romans. And so because he was a Roman citizen, ultimately he got his wish. So Paul ended up going to Rome, but not as a church planter. He went as a prisoner. He went as a prisoner. It's important for us to understand and recognize that because when we hear the contents of the letter, it's important to know that he's writing this while he is in prison, while he doesn't have the kind of external circumstances that would lead to his happiness. But yet we find in this letter more joy, more true joy than in a lot of other places, even in the Bible. And so we want to look at that today in Philippians uh, chapter one. And so I want to read, I'm reading a, a larger section of it just so we can get uh, an idea of the overall context of what's going on here. And then we'll go back and we'll actually start to look at some specific details. We're, there's no way we can cover everything, but I think we can get a good way uh, down the road here to, to understanding a little bit more about what it means to have true joy in Jesus. All right, so we're going to start in Philippians one, verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or pure or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are now going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Therefore, 
If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, do you see how Paul's entire perspective on his life and his circumstances and all of these things that are happening to him don't throw him off of the mission that he is on? His understanding of what he is called to do doesn't change because his joy is not rooted in his external circumstances. It's rooted in something else. It's, it's, so, it's rooted in something that is so much bigger than could ever be contained or confined inside the walls of a prison. But that's not the way this is supposed to work, right? I mean, the whole reason they put him in prison is to shut him up. They, they didn't want him to continue with this. And yet, if you heard, if anything, the, yeah, the circumstances have changed, but his understanding of who he's called to be and his understanding of where his joy comes from continues to drive him into advancing the gospel regardless of his external circumstances. L look again at uh, verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. It's not just with him either. We'll get to how he's going about this in a moment, but it's spreading even further than that. As a result, it become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So in order for us to really get at what is going on here, we, we need to understand, like when we hear the word prison, when we think of a prison and what it might mean to us in a modern sense, you know, we think of these, you know, big walls, the barbed wire, cells, iron bars, all that kind of stuff. What was going on here, though, is Paul was un technically under house arrest. He was under house arrest as he was awaiting trial. But unlike, you know, he didn't have like an ankle bracelet or anything like that. No, no, no. This kind of house arrest came with the special feature of being chained to another human being, okay? He was chained to another person, not just any person, but a very special soldier, kind of soldier, in the Roman army who was designated to care and protect for the emperor and the emperor's family. That's the, the, these guards that he's talking about, these palace guards, imperial guards, praetorium. All, all of these words are meaning the same thing. It's this special kind of soldier. And so one at a time, they take shifts. One at a time, there's a guard that is shackled to Paul. Now talk about a captive audience. Come on, that's a little funny. <laughs> So this captive audience that Paul has, because he knows where his joy actually comes from, and he understands what his mission is to advance the gospel, he uses the opportunity as he's chained to these people to tell them about Jesus. Is that something that you could see yourself or I could see myself doing? I would almost instantly fall into despair. I would almost instantly fall into despair. And to, to be in that sort of kind of humiliating environment 
and for Paul's joy to be unwavering, for it to remain constant, for it to drive him in this way to evangelize to the people that are holding him captive is, is really remarkable. It's really something. And it, it tells us that Paul is not, not chained by his circumstances into, having fall, or into falling into despair. He's, he's not confined to despair. Instead, he's free from it, which is an amazing thing about the gospel. The gospel continues to turn everything upside down, everything that we think we know. They put him in prison to try to silence him, and now more and more people are hearing about Jesus as he's locked up. And there are people that are hearing about Jesus that Paul had no intention of. He wasn't like trying to start a ministry to go preach to the Roman soldiers. That wasn't really on his list. But yet, he now finds himself in prison, chained to these Roman soldiers one at a time, and the gospel continues to spread. Not just with him, but then as word gets out, it starts to give other believers confidence and courage to continue furthering the gospel, which is desperately necessary for this church in Philippi to hear about. Because let's be honest, if you get a word like, oh, Paul's locked up, and you know that he is the main evangelist, and, and a lot of the work that is being done for the kingdom of God is, is either directly or indirectly, all roads kind of lead back to Paul, and Paul is now in prison, they may have been thinking, oh, well, that's it. It's over. It's over. And again, if our happiness or if our understanding of joy is only tied to the external circumstances, well, then they'd be right. It was over. It was time to fold the tent. It was time to just move on with life. But that's not what happened. Instead, they get a message that says, not only am I chained, but I am also witnessing to others. So in a very strange sense, he's more free than the prisoners that are locked or that the guards, than the guards are that are locking him up and keeping him captive. We could say it this way. Christ is the key to unlocking the chains of our circumstances. Christ is the key to unlocking the chains of our circumstances. Because there are times in our lives, you and I both know this, there are times in our lives where we feel chained to our circumstances. We feel chained to our struggles and our challenges. And we start to fall in to despair because of circumstances that we, we can't control and we don't know what to do and we don't know how to solve it and we don't know how to fix it. But we can control how we respond to it. We, we can't necessarily predict or control when trouble comes our way, despite our best attempts, but we can control how we respond to it. Not, not by our own power, not trying to conjure up willpower, not trying to, you know, fake it till you make it. It's none of that. Instead, it's by asking God to open our eyes and open our hearts so that we can see and approach the circumstances around us in a way that is rooted in the joy that we have in Jesus. Now, what would change about our relationship with God 
and our relationships with one another, if we just ask God to show us how our difficult circumstance, when we find ourselves in struggles and times of trial and difficulties, what would it be like, instead of falling into despair, to ask God to reveal to us, how is this going to be used for your glory? How is this going to be used to continue to advance the gospel. That's what Paul is doing because he knows that this true joy that is present in the midst even of his heartbreak and struggle is not something that fades away based on his ability to control it. It is something that has been given to him in faith and trusts and clings to the hope that is Jesus and now is expressed in true joy. Paul had joy in the face of his struggles as long as the cause of Christ was being advanced. He had joy in the face of his struggles as long as the cause of Christ was being advanced. I want to take just a moment to clarify something. Sometimes I get these questions, so I'm just, you're all going to, you're all going to get the benefit of this answer. Uh, Jesus, Christ, we're talking about the same person. Paul, Paul refers to Jesus all the time, or most of the time, as Christ, as the Messiah, as the promised one, because that really connects to, to the audience that he's writing to. But for you and I, I, I tend to, to use the name of Jesus. But Christ is not Jesus' last name, okay? Sometimes we get confused about that. And I had a staff member earlier this week tell me, and also his middle initial is not H. So we've got to remember that we're talking about the same person here. So when I continue through this, uh, just make sure that we're not getting confused here. When uh, Paul uses these, uh, the name of Jesus and also the name Christ interchangeably as we go through here. But the point is that Paul continues to have joy in the face of his struggles, which it's true even when things are not going well for him. I mean, yeah, it's bad enough that he's in prison. It's bad enough that he's locked up. But then also in addition to that, there are people outside of the prison. There are people outside that are stirring up trouble and trying to do it in a way that's harmful and hurtful to Paul. Uh, take a look here, uh, right here. It's true, this is verse 15, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ, Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Now, the people that Paul is referring to here, there are other letters where Paul is very much concerned about the motives of the people that are preaching, primarily because the gospel that they're preaching is a false gospel. There's all different kinds of letters to, to the Corinthians, to the Galatians that, that, that address these types of situations. But here it's different. It's different because the people seem to be not against Jesus at all. They know what the gospel is. They understand what the gospel is. But they seem to be specifically against Paul for whatever reason. We don't ever know. But they have ill will toward Paul. But he gives us a little bit of a clue here when he says, well, if they do it like this, they're doing it out of selfish ambition. And that ties back to what I said about Paul being the most successful 
evangelist in the history of the world. Everybody knew who Paul was. Either they knew of him or they knew him, but he was a big name because of the amount of ground he covered for the advancement of the gospel. People knew who Paul was. You might say that in that particular place and time, he would be the closest thing that you might have to a celebrity pastor, okay? Everybody knew who he was. But the interesting part is that Paul never uses that celebrity, that fame or that uh, people knowing who he is as a means to elevate himself. It's always, always about elevating Christ, elevating the name of Jesus and advancing the gospel. Okay? And so when we hear that and, and he's saying, what does it matter? Even if people are out there doing it for the wrong reasons, even if they're trying to say, hey, well, it's my time to shine. Old Paul's locked up. Now it's my turn to take over and I'm going to be a big deal. Well, it could be for any of those reasons. But as long as the pure gospel, the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is being proclaimed, Paul is saying, what does it matter? What does it matter? The gospel's still going forward. Now, you and I might think about this and say, well, what in the world does that have to do with us here today right now? Well, it has a lot to do with us, believe it or not. Because think about church history. How many splits of churches? How many different denominations have been created? How many arguments have produced the kind of division that then start other churches, other churches, other churches? This pastor, that pastor, this congregation, that congregation, this member, that member. All of this division continues to divide and, and it goes on and, and we eventually start to look at one another from, from a church perspective. I'm talking to us as a community. We, we start to look at other churches as competition. This is no good. No good. Most studies will tell you that somewhere around 80% of the people just in the Twin Cities area are unchurched. This is not an issue of competition, okay? What it is, is an issue for us to keep focused on the right kingdom, the kingdom of God. Paul is breaking apart our, our narrow perspective that we often have when we fall into this idea of competition. Instead, Paul is saying, no, it's not about you. It's about the kingdom of God. That's the model he has set for us. And that's how we should also understand Christ, joy. We win when Christ wins, we win when the gospel is advanced. We win not through our efforts, but through the efforts of Jesus in reaching other people and drawing them, them to himself. And so we could say it this way. True joy comes when the kingdom of God takes priority over the kingdom of me. True joy comes when the kingdom of God takes priority over the kingdom of me. Of course, that, that's true in a general sense, just in all of our lives in a general sense, but it's specifically true when we're talking about this. Grace Church does not exist so that people encounter Grace Church. Grace Church exists so that people find their hope and life in Jesus, right? And how quickly sometimes we can get confused about that. We don't want people to say, you know, I was lost and then I found Grace Church. We want people to say, I was lost 
until I found Jesus. Is that who we are? Is that who we are becoming? I believe that's what God desires for us, for us as a community. And the only way that's possible is to understand what the foundation of our joy is to begin with. It's not in our building or our worship service or our coffee shop or our discipleship programs or our small groups. All of those things are important. All of those things have their place, but none of those things are the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? They're tools, they're instruments that are being used by God to draw people to himself. It's important that we don't get that confused so that we don't fall into this understanding. Well, you know, down the road, they got sounds a lot better in there. I I really like the music better. Well, they got better lattes down there. That's not what we should be focused on. Okay, so what would it look like if we, as a community, said, okay, we're going to keep this kingdom mindset. The kingdom of God has got to be the priority. Then if we continue in verse 18, second part, Paul says again, yes, and I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So you see this again, this community element. He's saying, I am benefiting from your prayers. So there's this relational aspect between Paul and this congregation that is not superficial. It is deeply personal. It's deeply relational. He's actually thanking them for their participation in his circumstances. And so when we think about what that means for us, are, are we thinking about that? Are we doing that? Are we putting that as a priority? We'll get, we'll get more into that in just a minute, but I, I want to spend just a, a moment thinking about the, this word at the end of verse 19. It's, it says, uh, I know what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Now, deliverance is not really a very good translation of that word. Every other place this Greek word is used in the New Testament, that word is not translated as deliverance. It's translated as salvation. Salvation. Now, listen to the way that sounds. I know what has happened to me will turn out for my salvation. That is completely different than what we might think when we first hear deliverance. Because when we hear deliverance, we think, oh, he is sure that these bad circumstances are going to come to an end. He's sure that he's going to be uh, freed from the prison any day and he can get back to work and he can get, get back on the plan that he has for his life and everything is going to be wonderful. That, that's not what he's saying. He's actually saying something far more alarming to you and to I. He's, he's actually saying that his salvation is being brought not in spite of his circumstances, but because of his circumstances. His salvation is being brought about because of his circumstances. Now that is something that we really need to think about because it really affects our perspective on what it means to have true joy in Jesus. Because right in the middle of this drastic change of plans where he got to Rome as a prisoner instead of a church planter, he didn't call it quits. He didn't give up when the times were tough. But boy, I've been in tough circumstances, and I bet you have too, where I've wondered, hey, is this whole Christian thing worth it? If God loves me, which is what I hear all the time, it sure doesn't feel like that to me right now. 
I sure don't seem to be experiencing that. That maybe I was wrong. Do we fall into despair? And, and Paul is saying that, oh, no, if that's what you think is happening, if you think that being a Christian and following Jesus means that everything's going to be easy and everything's going to work out just the way you want, no way. Paul is saying that it's even in the circumstances, not just God acting in spite of the circumstances, but God acting because of the circumstances that is working toward our salvation. It's working toward our salvation. Now, how can it be possible that Paul understands this and has this kind of perspective? Because that's way bigger than what we typically understand and the typical perspective that we have about what joy and happiness and all that kind of stuff is. But he gives us a clue. We're going to look at verse 20 here. Uh, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. See, there you, there you hear, he doesn't know how this is going to turn out. And ultimately, he will be executed for his faith. But right here, he's not pinning his hopes and dreams on God freeing him from this prison. He doesn't know how this is going to turn out, and yet he still has joy. Why? Verse 21 is the key. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I just want to focus on that for a minute. For me to live is Christ. Now, in a world where we have all different kinds of things and all different kinds of people and all different kinds of relationships that can distract us and, and jockey for first position of priority in our lives. How would you, if Paul says, for me to live is Christ, how would you say that? How would you say, for me to live is what? For me to live is what? What is your life all about? Is it for me to live is work? Is it hobbies? Is it Netflix? Is it social media? Is it politics? Is it power? Is it control? Is it sex, drugs? Is it, is it video games? Is it, I mean, we could go on and on and on and on. I mean, how many times do we go to like a gas station or something uh, and you see a sign that says something like, you know, fishing is life. Is it? Is it? Not for Paul. Not for Paul. For Paul, he says, for me to live is Christ. Christ is at the center of his life. It's not something that can be faked. It's not something that can be manufactured. Every time we try to do that, every time we try to pretend in this circumstance, it ends up being nothing more than fool's gold. It might look like the real thing. But do we have that deep sense of true joy that transcends our circumstance. For me, to live is what? And if it is Jesus, if that's what your answer is, then how is your courage and confidence in Christ then being radiated out into the community, starting with this community right here, with us? We tend to forget that that God has given us to one another as a gift. 
as a means of building one another up and encouraging one another for the advancement of the gospel, yes, and also for our spiritual growth. And so if your life is based on Jesus and he is the center of all you do, then no matter where you go, no matter what job you might have, no matter what other relationships you might have, are you bringing Christ with you? Are you bringing the true sense of joy in the truest sense to whatever circumstances you face? Or are you letting your circumstances impact your understanding of joy? Because true joy, now here's where it gets really interesting. You heard it when we talked about John 15. Remember, Jesus says, I'm giving you my joy so that your joy will be complete. And then right after that, he says, my command is this, love one another as I have loved you. This true joy we have in Jesus is not something that is individualistic. It's not something that is meant to be contained inside us. We tend to try to put true joy in our own prison. We try to lock up joy. We try to confine joy. Maybe we try to confine it to the walls of this room. Well, when I go to church, then that's where we talk about these kinds of things. But when I leave, then it's, I'll keep as quiet as possible. But that's not the way that true joy works. True joy is focused outwardly, not inwardly. True joy starts inside of us and works its way out. Whereas happiness starts outside of us and then affects what we think inside. So do you see how the gospel of Jesus Christ turns everything end over end and puts us in this place where we are being called to walk alongside one another so that we can continue to find hope in life in Jesus. That starts with you and me together in this community that is centered on the truth of who Jesus is, the joy of who Jesus is, the hope that we have in Jesus. Remember last week we said, hope is not like the world defines it. Hope for us is not tied to an unknown future. It's tied to God's activity in the past that guarantees where we're headed and what will happen at the end. Death doesn't have the final say. Defeat doesn't have the final say. Disease, sickness, anxiety, depression, none of that has the final say. Who has the final say is Christ alone. Our hope is tied to that. And as a result, the joy of the Lord is made ours and expressed through us. It comes out in the form of confidence. I would say it to you this way. True joy is expressed as confidence in Christ to and through community. It's to and through community. Yes, we gather together in, in all different kinds of ways. This is just one of them, but we gather together centered upon the word of God, the promises of Jesus. And then we respond to those promises in whatever way we do. But the hope is that we continue to grow in our relationship with God, that we respond faithfully to the promises, that we, that we understand that the faith that's being given to us then needs to be watered and nurtured and cared for. And we do that in community with one another. But church, how many times, how are we actually doing at it? 
Because we just got done saying that Paul's circumstances were tragic by the world's definition. And yet he found true joy because he knows his joy is not coming from his circumstances. That doesn't mean he's not disappointed. That doesn't mean that he's not frustrated. That doesn't mean that he's not hurting. That doesn't mean that he's not experiencing some level of anxiety or maybe even some kind of despair that's sneaking up in there. But it does mean that he's not defined by any of those things. His joy is not directly tied to those things. His joy is tied to Jesus. Now, when we think about how we love and care for one another in community, have you noticed that a lot of times when we deal with difficult issues, the first thing we do is disconnect from our church community. Somebody's going through a divorce. Somebody's going through uh, uh, the death of a loved one. And what ends up happening is they distance themselves from the community. Now, why is that? That's not by coincidence. It's because a lot of times our response to people's difficulty, their despair, their lack of hope is to give them nothing but simple Christian cliches. Well, God has a plan. God must have needed another angel. It'll all work out. We start quoting Romans 8. All things are going to work together for the good of those who love God. Okay, well, that, that can be true. But how is that loving to the person at the time where they're dealing with this circumstance? What we're called to do is we're called to be for one another the burden bearers, to come alongside and to, to speak words of hope and life and to care for one another and to, to recognize that, hey, if you're struggling, if you're falling into despair, if you're being challenged, if you have struggles, let me come alongside you, not to give you Christian cliches, but to actually help bear your burdens, to help walk alongside you, to, to, to help you find your hope and life in Jesus because that's the only place where we have true joy that transcends our circumstances. That is paramount for our calling as a Christian community. And so as we think about what that means for us, for, for, for Grace Church, don't be so quick to assume that doesn't happen here. I've had many conversations with many people that have been told many unfortunate things. But as we trust and we hope, and as we find our joy in Jesus, then let that radiate out through us so that we become witnesses to the truth of the joy we have in Jesus. And we don't do it in a way that's nothing more than fool's gold. This is a challenge that's easier said than done. But that's exactly what Paul is pointing us into here at the beginning of chapter two. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, oh, sorry, wrong page. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Do you see how that's directly connected to what Jesus said in John chapter 15? Love 
one another. Care for one another. And do it as an expression of the confidence and the courage of the faith and the joy and the hope that we have in Jesus. This is an amazing thing. We are not meant to do life alone. We are meant to be in community that will actually walk alongside one another and will support one another. I hope that excites you because I don't know of a more desperate time in the world that needs this kind of community than this right here, right now. So be encouraged today not to find your happiness in some fleeting hope of the world, but instead come to know that the joy, the true joy that we are promised in Jesus comes through the faith that we have in trusting and knowing that he is who he says he is. He has come to accomplish exactly what he said he would accomplish. And you and I now are no longer shackled by the circumstances in our lives, but are free to advance the gospel, to reach new people, to bring others into knowing Jesus and then sending them out to make him known. Let's pray.